Hey, check out the ringer.com today for a great article by David Hill about the beach bum who beat Wall Street and made millions on GameStop. This is an awesome feature. Go check it out. The ringer.com. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Make this summer the best one yet. Invest in a Simply Safe home security system. I have one. I love it. It's a great way to protect your home when you're not there. Um, you need one, especially during the summer. You know what burglars know? People go away during the summer. That's what happens. So when you're away, you want to make sure your place is protected. You want to make sure that you potentially have little camera things you can watch on your phone to see what it, what's happening at your house, at your front door, inside. You deserve some peace of mind. Get it today with Simply Safe. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and the Ringer Podcast Network. If you didn't know, we did new rewatchables Monday night, Sleeping with the Enemy, me and Van Lathan. And then we have another one coming up on Wednesday, Coming to America, uh, about a month before the new one comes out. Me and Van Lathan and Wesley Morris broke it down. So two rewatchables this week. Hope you're listening to our new sports cards podcast. Sports cards nonsense. The industry has gone bonkers and our hosts Gio and Jesse are breaking it down twice a week. Sports cards nonsense. Coming up, Charles Barkley. He hasn't been on in a long time. I don't know what took, what took so long for me to invite him, but I'm glad he was here. It's a great conversation. We hit just about every NBA topic imaginable. It's all next. First, Pearl Jam. All right. The pride of Leeds, Alabama is here. Charles Barkley. Good to see you. You look happy and healthy. I'm happy and healthy, man. Thanks for having me. Lots of basketball stuff going on. Let's uh, let's start here. This is fresh. This is hot off the press. Draymond Green last night did this whole rant about the Cavaliers um, basically not resting Andre Drummond as much as just not playing them until they figure out a trade for him. And he was working out for the game. Then he goes in the back. And Draymond did this whole double standard thing about organizations, they're what's best for them. But then when a player does what's best for the player, everyone gets mad at the player. Why do we have this double standard? Did you follow that? And what did you think of that whole rant? Well, I think Draymond has to really be careful. All that stuff is cute when you're winning. Uh, but when you're in last place, it's annoying. They're trying to protect their asset and uh, they're going to trade him. So uh, you don't want a guy making $30 million on your cap if he gets hurt for the next couple of years. So they're doing what's best for them. 
But I think Draymond has got to start learning to understand. You can say what you want to when you're the champs in, in first place. When you're in last place, you become the guy who becomes annoying. <laughs> right. But at the same time, of all the guys in this generation, he's the one that most reminds me of you 30 years ago with how outspoken you were. I mean, I, it's probably a, a, something that, you would have done 30 years but, ago. Well, I think there's a difference the between me is he, he was, he's on a really good team. I was a great player. You can, there's a double standard on that. When you're a great yeah. player, you can say and do what you want to do. When you're on a good team, you can say and do what you want to do. But when you're in last place, you have to stand down. He hasn't learned that yet. Interesting. Well, you do TV with him, and so you guys have, I think, it seems like a complicated but fun relationship, right? You respect each other, but you go at each other. No, I I said some things about him because I think that sometimes he don't appreciate the guys he play with. He's a good player. I like him as a person, uh, but... You know, uh, I think sometimes he starts to think that he is a great, great player. Uh, uh, so that's the only time we ever disagree. But he's a nice kid, and I like him. Um, when you think about how certain players are treated these days when they do stuff like either quit on their team or try to maneuver how to jump team, stuff like that, like what we saw with Harden at the beginning of this season compared to when it happened in your era, when guys weren't happy and trying to get their way out, what's the biggest difference between your era and now? Guys never want to get out in my day. You played, you did your job, but you got paid a lot of, well, not what they get paid today. You got a lot of money to play. You just do your job. And if uh, if they trade you, they do, but they don't. You didn't, you didn't, I don't remember any guys in my day forcing their way out of a situation. You know, Reggie Miller uh, stayed in Indiana. Dominique Wilkins stayed. Uh, in, in Atlanta, you know, Michael Jordan didn't win for a long time. He didn't say, Hey, I can't beat the Pistons. He got better as a player. You know, he right. didn't win a championship just like eighth year in the league. That's what's really funny about these guys today. If they don't win a championship in like the first three or four years, like, Well, I need some help. I'm like, Well, everybody needs some help, but it's just a double, it's, it's a difference. Like I say, Michael Jordan didn't win his first championship. He was, he was 28 years old, his eighth year in the league. But you never heard him complain. You saw that documentary. He's like, I got to get better. I got to get better. I got to get better. So I think that's the biggest difference. Well, think about 30 years ago, right? The two guys who I think were in kind of the worst basketball situations for what their talent was were you and Hakeem. And Hakeem, there was one point, I think heading into the 93 season, he had that awesome run where 93, he was an MVP candidate. Then 94, 95, he wins. But in 92... He was unhappy. He didn't have any help. There was rumors they might trade him. You're in the same situation with Philly. Your team wasn't bad, but the league was awesome back then. So you have Hersey Hawkins, Dawkins, um, basically nobody at center, and you're a 44-win team. But you would have stayed. The reasons you got traded had nothing to do with you wanting to get out of there. It was There was other shit going on, right? Well, I think the main thing, man, I have an obligation to the fans. You know, uh, listen, I, to, I think you have more obligation to the fans than you do to the team. I mean, you never really see the owner. <laughs> you see the coaches and the players and the fans. So no matter where I played, I felt a special obligation for the fans to give them the best that I could. I mean, I, look, first of all, I mean, I, if every star all play together, why we have the league? I mean, <laughs> I can say, uh, you know, there, that, that was a difference. Like Patrick Ewing, thank goodness he didn't say, I want to get out of New York. He didn't play with a lot of great players. Uh, you know, Reggie Miller, 
I think it's fair to say he didn't play with a great player. Dominique Wilkins, same thing. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I, you know, Ralph Sampson is is probably, you know, he got uh, that's probably the closest Akeem came to playing with a great player and doing it in early in his career. Yeah, I he mean, had Drexler, Drexler the second season, but it was a little bit of a different Drexler. It was probably 85% what he used to be. I mean, Gary Payton was a great player. He had Sean Kemp. Uh, so, listen, hey, we all want to win, but at what cost? Uh, and to me, I felt a special obligation to those fans in Philadelphia, and I was going to give them everything I had every night. And, hey, if we didn't win, we didn't win. Right. Well, what do you think happened when you look back? Why why did you get traded? Was it some of the off-the-court stuff, like the incident with the fan? Did you feel like the media was against you? What what were the reasons that led to them basically giving you away for 40 cents on the dollar? Because that trade is crazy to look back on now. Well, they got four players. I mean, that's fair. They got four guys for me. So, yeah, uh, but you, you were the best five players in the league. Yeah, but they got four players. First of all, it was their fault for uh, making bad trades and not drafting. Uh, yeah. No, uh, I I loved playing in Philly. Still have a house there. It's a great city. But they just didn't know what they were doing. And I had made up my mind uh, that I was not going to go back there. But I kept it on the down low. I did not I talked to them privately because I didn't want to alienate the city of Philadelphia. But I said, listen, because what happened was, to be honest with you, I had went through two years well, basically, every team in the NBA was trying to get me. I mean, I remember being on the cover of the Sports Illustrated one time. I know, Sporty Dudes. They had me in 10 different uniforms on the cover. So <laughs> me, and my, me and my family went through two years of every single day having to hear bullshit. So finally, uh, at the end of that uh, eighth year, I told them, I said, hey, listen, I'm not coming back here. I want to do it in a private professional way, but I'm never coming back here again. And I got traded that summer. Well, think about if we had the apparatus we have now in 2021, in 1992, it would have come out that you were unhappy, right? Things would have gotten leaked, social media, all this stuff. It would have been, I feel like a much bigger story that you were clearly not happy with your situation. Yeah, but I still think that I, like, listen, if you're in a city one or two years, I think that's a little bit different. I spent my first eight years in Philadelphia. I had a connection with the fans. The fans have always treated me great. Actually, to, to a certain degree, the media, uh, they were always supportive of me. They realized the Sixers were a shit organization back then. I mean, we had the number one pick in the draft and gave it away for nothing. Right. I mean, you don't, you don't do that. I remember I remember that vividly. I knew that, that, that actually started the downfall of my Philadelphia career. You know, I was just becoming a star. We had the number one pick in the draft. And they gave it away for, number one, a guy who never played with me, Jeff Rulin. And they traded Moses, who was still played for another five years, who was my mentor. And we got Cliff Robinson and Roy Henson from Cleveland. And like Wait, I said, you... You you mixed all this up. Those trades were so bad you couldn't even remember the how it wasn't it the number one pick for Roy Henson and then it was Moses for Jeff Rulon and Cliff Robinson, right? It was the same trade though. Yeah, same but it was trade. two at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was two at the same time. It happened the same day. I remember getting a call like at five thirty in the morning from Phil Jasner, a great Philadelphia writer. He says, "Cause we actually had been out drinking, celebrating, getting number one pick in the draft." And I'm thinking, like, guys, 
when I get Brad Doherty here, we're going to be kicking some ass for the next 10 years. I remember it vividly. And I remember I got home and we were, I was drunk and I got a phone call around 5.30 in the morning from Phil. He said, Charles, what do you think about the trade? I said, Phil, what are you talking about? He says, uh, the Sixers <laughs> trade is the number one pick in the draft. I said, I said, tell you what, Phil, let me get up, take a shower, get my sense together. Because I know the Sixers are not that stupid to trade the number one pick in the draft. And uh, I took a shower and calmed down. And I said, because Phil was always just a great reporter. He says, we, yeah. we trade. He trades the number one pick in the draft for Roy Henson. And then he says, it gets worse. He says, you traded Moses to Washington and who for Jeff Rulin, who hadn't played in two years, and Cliff Robinson. And I'm just like, from that point on, I I knew I was doomed in Philly. Uh, But I still gave them everything I had. Uh, But, man, that was the beginning of the end. You know, it's a great fork in the road. What if that, you know, there's been so many what ifs over the years in the NBA. That's a really good one though, because Doherty until he got hurt, he was really good for nine years. I mean, he was, especially in a league where you had a ton of centers, he was really flexible. He could have played forward or center for you. If They had just done nothing. If the organization had just like basically been like, we're going to Alaska, just, we'll just, just give us Brad Doherty. Don't do anything else. Then yeah. you would have had you, Brad Doherty and Moses. First of all, and and Moses- I think you would have been good. We would have been really good. I mean, Brad was an all-star a bunch of years, and I was at that time. I'm only like 24, 25, and I'm just becoming an all-star. Yeah, and I mean, and I actually made the all-star team the next eleven years, so I was just starting to be Charles Barkley at the time. And don't forget, we still had Hurston Hawkins and Johnny Dawkins. So, and we still we won a couple games off the Bulls. Um, they beat us. Before, I mean, obviously they got beat by the Pistons. So, if they had not did anything. And just bought in Brad Darty, we would have been really good for the next 10 years. Well, the other funny thing is, so that's 86. The Celtics have just won the title with this Mikhail Parrish Bird front line. And Houston makes the finals with Samson Olajuwon. And everybody's like, you got to get bigger. You got to get bigger. Philly had the chance to just have Doherty and Moses together to battle all these other Twin Tower things. That, that, was, uh, that was pretty terrible. Well, it, it, well, because the, the Celtics, I think at that point, the Celtics was almost done. Because then they really... No, no, in 86 they weren't, because they thought they were getting Len Bias with the second pick, and it no, seemed like had, they were... I'm saying once Len Bias died, unfortunately, they yeah. were just, they were all past their prime. So we knew it was going to be the Bulls and the Pistons for the next 10 years, which it was. Right. <laughs> which it was. So we felt, I felt really good going forward with Brad Darty. I mean, I was... I was on cloud nine. I'm like, man, I'm finally going to get some help. Well, you know, because my centers were Manute Bowl. Right in the uh, late 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I had my, I went to war with Manute Bowl as my center. And as much as I love Manute, you know, you got, we had no chance. That'd be like uh, Taco so, Fall right now. If you had Taco Fall as your center. Uh, well, uh, you know, I like Taco. I hope he can, I hope he Listen, I, I was on a podcast the other day. I think I actually think the Celtics should play him. I think they need to do something a little weird with their roster. Every time he comes in, and you saw it when you had Minute, when he comes in, the other team is like discombobulated. Well, so there's this huge guy in the middle that they have to think about. Well, I said something about the Celtics the other night. They got to do something because right now they're just uh, mediocre. They're not contenders. They got to do something. Uh, uh, Ainge has got to do something because the way they currently constructed, they're just an also ran. Yeah. 
Well, the the East, there's such a drop off after the top three. I want to talk about it in a second. One more thing on 86. Did you think there was a chance they were going to take Lem Bias? No, the I Sixers. Don't think, I don't think Lynn came out that year. No, no, it was Brad Doherty was one, Lem Bias was two in the 86 draft. Wow. I, you know, man, is that okay? I, I, uh, no, his name never came up. It's, um, I mean, I didn't, um, no, uh, I think they always had their minds to, but first of all, the answer to your question is, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking because they didn't think <laughs> either. I mean, right. I mean, they told me the whole time they were going to take Brad Dart, and I was excited for that because with his high post skills and my low post skills, and he could go down low and I could go up high. Yeah. I mean, it was really a nice combination because he was good enough to post up, but he was a great passer. And uh, man, I, you know that 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 I always tell people that's probably the biggest regret of my career not getting that, getting a chance to play with Brad. Well, bias is the biggest regret slash what if of my career as a, ba- as a basketball fan, putting him on the Bird McHale team. And to me, you think like the career you had, the career Carl Malone had, and you think like, you know, all-star, top five, top six power four uh, players in the league, but also the best power forwards. And you guys are kind of linked in some way. And bias could have been kind of the third guy in that group from your generation. And he's dead two days after the draft. But I really feel like he was he was that talented that he could have been discussed that way if he could have gotten his shit together off the court. Yeah, he was really, really talented. It was going to be interesting what position he played because he will, he, he had a nice little combination, but you can't really judge guys like that till you see him in person because he had the body of a three-man. So he would have been a tough matchup for guys. And in the post... He looked skinny on television. I never got the opportunity to meet him in person. But back then, that power forward thing was no joke. Yeah. <laughs> there was no joke. That was that the position you like, you're gonna get the hell beat out of you every single night. And that's just the way it is. Cause, you know, not just Carl. You got Kevin McHale, who's the best player I ever played against. You know, he is a nightmare in the post and on defense. Right. Uh, I mean, so, so it was uh it was no joke. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. 
a 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is Simply Safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Um, Zion versus you. 1986, Charles, year two versus uh, Zion right now. I I did a thing on my podcast a couple weeks ago about unicorns and how like when you came in the league, I'd never seen anybody like you. You were like a one-on-one. It was like, what the fuck is this? This guy's six, five. He's jumping over people for rebounds. He's a freight train. He's grabbing a rebound. He's going coast to coast and taking it. I was like, what is this? Zion reminds me a little bit of that, but he's also, he's got his own unique stuff. When you watch Zion, does he remind you of you? Well, every undersized power forward they compare to me. My only, uh, first of all, I like Zion a lot. uh, He seems like a great kid, but I'm not sure why he's not rebounding the ball. You know, he he go games where he get three or four or five rebounds, and he should be a double-digit rebound guy. Um, He should never have, like, like one of my rules was I never want to get less than 10 rebounds a game. Yeah. But I think, I think I went, I think I went, 14 straight years where I average double-digit rebounds. I like, so he's a lot more explosive to me, but he only uses it on offense. He's got to be a better uh, a better rebounder. Uh, that's the only problem I have with him. He's not a great, I think, mean, I don't even know what he's averaging rebound-wise, but it should be 11 or 12. He I have that for you. I was going to read you the stats. Year two. Now, you had better teammates, so your stats weren't like I think what they would have been if you were on a worse team, but you were 20 and 13, 57% field goals, 7.2 free throw attempts. Zion's 24 and 7, 60% field goal, 7.6 free throw attempts. The seven jumped out at me. I don't understand. I'm with you. I, I don't understand how he's not at 10. How does Luka Doncic average two <laughs> and a half more rebounds a game than, than Zion? That makes no sense to me. Yeah, that's the thing. When I watched him play, because, you know, I got somebody, uh, people always ask me that, so I want to be able to say it correctly. I'm, uh, the only problem I have with his game is he's just not a uh, good enough rebounder for me. But, man, he's a lot more explosive, but he's only explosive on offense. So he's got to do a much better job of making an impact on the game, on on on, on, the, on the rebounding side of the game. You, to be a great player, you have to have at least two ways you affect the game. You have to, I mean, you can be an all-star and a very good player, but to be a great player or a superstar, you have to be able to win the game multiple ways. And and, and that's that's always been the criteria. And there's a lot of guys who go out here and they just get you 25, 30 points and have no other impact on the game. That's not a, that's an all-star. That's not a superstar. Well, you know why you probably get that Zion question a lot? I think it's really hard for a shorter guy to be overpowering in a basketball game. When we think about overpowering dudes, you think about like Will Chamberlain, think about Shaq, think about what Embiid's like this year. Um, And then you think about LeBron, who's basically Karl Malone's body, but with Magic's mindset. Mm -hmm. But you and Zion, I think, are, are probably the only two smaller forwards I remember that feel overpowering at times. And that's the thing as I don't think he's as explosive as he was at Duke. I still don't th- feel like he's a hundred percent health wise, but he has these moments where he takes over games the same way you did. 
Yeah, but the only problem, he only does it offensively. Like, right. Uh, so that's my only gripe. Well, that was the rap on you back in the day in the mid-80s. People were like, he can't guard anybody. Then, then you became a solid defender, I think. Yeah, I mean, I got better, but I was still going to get you 10 to 15 rebounds a night. If you get right. 10 to 15 rebounds a night, you're making an impact on the game. I mean, I'm still the shortest guy to ever lead the league in rebounding, and that's one of my most precious stats. But, like, uh, I never got less than 10 rebounds a game for at least a 10-year, 12-year period. Because uh, the scoring thing, anybody can score. Because if you're a great player, you're going to get X amount of plays ran for you. Right. But if, if you're getting 10, 12, 13 rebounds a night, you're making an impact on the game. Did you lie about your height when you came out of college? Were you saying you were like six, 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 seven? You know, it, you know, Bill, that's a great question. I don't think that I was lying. I think it just depends on who measures you and what kind of shoes you're wearing. I truly believe that. Because I have been measured in shoes and I have been measured bare feet. And so I really think it just depends uh, who measuring you, to be honest with you. I never felt with you, I never felt the height thing. Even like seeing you in person, and it was clear, like obviously you're six inches shorter than Mikhail and stuff like that. But you, it didn't, it didn't play out that way. Like in the game, you were still your hands were above everybody else's hands, so it didn't really matter. David well, Thompson was like that too, where it was like it, he was six three, but it felt like he was six seven. Well, a couple things. Number one, I actually have really long arms, believe it or not. Uh, for I like, I can stand beside a guy who's six seven, maybe even six eight. And we reach up, and my hands of are, are, are higher. Yeah. But I think I think the main thing, man, it's just about being physical. Like I want to hit everything that's moving, because as tall as a guy is, he if he if you got your body on him, he can't jump to explore his height. You know. So I'm I, anybody who's guarding me, who's around me, I'm hitting their ass every single time. So like I say. You might be 6'10", but you're not 6'10 when you can't jump if somebody hitting you with their ass or their elbow or their shoulder. So the main thing is you, I have to keep physical contact on the guy I'm playing against so he don't, he's not able to use his height to his advantage. That's just right. the main thing. Well, that's what was so much fun about you and Moses together. I remember there was some crazy stat about the combined offensive rebounds you guys had that year. It was, it was some number that had not been approached by a pair. And it, Moses, I remember writing about in my book, he had that trick where on offensive rebounds, he would basically go almost out of bounds and then he would back in under the basket and then he'd be right. And then he'd be right there for tipping and teams could never figure out how to stop it. It's, I don't, I haven't seen anybody else really use that trick. He was, a, he was a one-on-one -on -one with that. Well, you know, he's the most important person in my basketball career because, you know, he got me in shape. Yeah. You know, when I first got to the NBA, Bill, I was 295 pounds somewhere. Now, I played in college around between two, always between 290 and 300 pounds. And I was in college for three years, and I led to SEC and rebounded every year. And then when I got to the NBA, I wasn't in good shape. And I remember me and Moses lived in, to, in the same building. And I went upstairs and I said, Moses, can I come up and talk to you tonight? He said, come on up, big fellow. And I said, why am I not getting a place? And, and Moses, who's like E.F. Hudden, when he speaks, everybody listens. He didn't say a lot. But when he spoke, everybody listened. And he says, Charles, you're fat and you're lazy. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, he says, you're fat and you're lazy. He says, you're lazy because you're fat. 
And number one, uh, after I stopped crying, uh, he said, Charles, you got a lot of talent, but you're not in good enough shape to work hard. And this guy met me before practice, after practice. I lost 10 pounds to get to 290. He said, let's keep going. I get to 280, 270, 260, 250, which is what I played at. And if this old guy hadn't taken the time to take care of a little fat kid from Alabama, I might have ate myself out of the NBA. And I've seen that happen to a bunch of guys over my career who couldn't get their weight under control. So I'm tell, I tell people, man, Moses is by far and away the most important person in my career. But also I'm proud of myself for listening to him. You know, Billy, a lot of our kids don't listen to old people. They think we're full of shit. Right. I'm, glad, I'm glad I was smart enough to listen to Moses and the rest is history. Right. You're giving basically the exact same speech to Oliver Miller eight years later and he doesn't uh, listen. Yeah, it didn't work. That it, that one didn't work out that good for me. You know, it, you know, it, it, it's a very interesting thing because I went through the same stuff with Catino Mobley and Steve Francis uh, late in my career when I got traded to, 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 to Houston. Uh, because the league had changed because they were bringing so many young kids in. But you got to remember something. When I got to Philly, I had Doc, Moses, Maurice Cheeks, Andrew Tony, Bobby Jones, Clement Johnson, Clint Richardson. I mean, I had great guys around me who, like, they taught me how to dress. They taught me how to save my money. I mean, they taught me stuff that's bigger than basketball. But somewhere along that way, they, we started drafting kids younger and younger. So... We, they, they phased out all the old guys. And, and so then we became the, the last old guys trying to work with the young guys, and we were just like a pain in their ass holding them back, and they didn't listen to us. Yeah, that was a weird time for the league. I always call it the too much, too fast, too soon era. That, that stretch from basically Shaq's draft all the way through maybe the 98 draft where these guys are coming in, they're making big money right away. Um, they're famous out of the gate and they probably, they probably don't want to hear some of the lessons from some of these people. I, I do feel like it's corrected itself though. I I've been really impressed by the last 10, 12 years of draft classes. And these guys come in, they're really mature. They're finished products. I think they, they handle their business the right way. They're pros. You see guys who are 20, 21, 22 years old, who really seem like they have their shit together. I don't feel like that was the case 20 plus years ago. Well, I think these guys, they got, because of social media and things like that, they got more things at their hands. Uh, I, I personally don't like the basketball, personally, because, uh, you know, I can't remember the last time a rookie really made an impact, uh, to be honest with you. And I, and I think that hurts the game. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, you look at this year, uh, the ball kid's probably a favorite for rookie of the year. The kid in New York quickly is doing fantastic, but I don't think any of these other guys are really doing anything. You go back the last few years, I mean, Luca won rookie of the year, but he's not really a, a fair rookie. Yeah. So I would really love to see some of these guys stay in college for a minimum of two years because I think that – I think it hurts our game, uh, honestly, because it's our, our, our game is designed – where bad teams get help. And they're not getting that right now. Um, 
I, I, I tell people, you want somebody to come in ready to play. And I understand the agents. The agents are scumbags. They want them to get to the money as soon as possible. They can get to the second contract. But I always look out what's good for the game. Hey, if I'm a fan and I'm paying these outrageous prices for tickets and my team is in last place, I don't want to get a good a guy who might be good in five years. I want some I want a Larry Bird, a Magic Johnson, a Carl Malone, a John Stockton, Charles Burke. I want somebody coming in ready to play right now. I don't want them to bring in a little skinny kid who's 170 pounds and in four or five years he might be good. So uh that that so we disagree a little bit on the caliber of player that's coming into the NBA today. Yeah, I was talking more the 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 off the court stuff, the personality, the person that's coming in now. They're they're way more polished. Even somebody like remember when Tatum was a rookie on the Celtics and he would give interviews and be like, How the fuck does he know how to give an interview already? He's nineteen, you know. Yeah, um, I, I I think that him going to Duke, even though it was for one year, being around uh, being being around Coach Krzyzewski and things like that, because uh, I know Mike is gonna Mike is a great coach, obviously, but he's a good dude. So I think it would surprise me if they did some media training mm. uh, at Duke, and because uh, same thing with Zion, I think Zion is very polished for his age, uh, but I think also it depends on the people around you and the school you go to. Yeah, well, when you talk about rookies and situations, Lamelo is in a really good situation. And part of it is because MJ overpaid for Hayward. We thought Hayward's been really good. He's finally been healthy. He's, you know, borderline all-star. Last year, they allegedly overpaid for Rogier. I made fun of them for it. Rogier's been really good. He's been better than Kemba. And that team is solid. That team's first in their division right now. So you see, like, LaMelo kind of fits in with what they have. And that's been really good for him. If he had gone to, like, Minnesota... And he was playing with all those dudes. And that that's basically like a fantasy team, not a basketball team. I, I don't know if he would be even close to the same success. Well, I think you have to give Michael credit for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, he did a great job with LaMelo. He's, he's, like I said, he's probably the front runner for rookie of the year if he stays healthy. Yep. Also, the Celtics miss Gordon Hayward. The Celtics miss Gordon Hayward. You know, he he's... I think sometimes people, when they talk about basketball, they don't really know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, and it drives me crazy. They're like, whoa, he's overpaid and he doesn't fit. They, they're going to be much better without him. Like, I'm not sure about that. And he's done a good job in Charlotte. I mean, he's done a good job in Charlotte. So these guys, man, uh, Haywood is, uh, the Celtics really miss Haywood when you watch him play. Yeah, it's funny. Obviously, I'm a huge Celtic fan. He had a moment last year, the first like seven, eight games of this season, when he finally seemed healthy. And then he broke his finger and he was out. And then he came back and it wasn't the same. Then it was like, oh, in the bubble, it'll be great. Sprains his ankle in the first game. I think sometimes people could just be in the, you can have too much baggage with a situation and a team and a city. And it started to become this thing where it was just like it was never going to go right for him in Boston. I'm not surprised he's doing well in Charlotte. I feel like he needed to get out of Boston, you know, because you start your career, you have one of the worst injuries you can have in a game in the in the second quarter of your first game with a team. And then it's just, you know, it was one thing after another. And, I, and I, at the same time, Tatum and Brown passed him. He was the third most important forward of the league. I think he wanted to be an important guy again. 
Yeah, but I think sometimes the way they structured right now don't mesh together. I think they would have been better with, with Haywood being their second best player. Because uh, the way they constructed right now, they're mediocre at best. Like I say, uh, just because somebody's a better player does not mean it's a better fit. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tatum and Brown are better players, but they've been, they might not be a better fit. Uh, I'm trying to think of a situation with an NBA. I can't remember right offhand, but I'm pretty sure that was like, hey, we got more talent. Uh, oh, uh, Kyrie's a perfect example. You know, y'all had Kyrie, and it's like, wait a minute. We got Kyrie now. Wait, we got, we got worse results. Just because a player is a better player don't mean you're going to have better results. It has to fit together. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. Well, that's been the problem with the Celtics this year. The players don't make sense collectively. They're still they missing not. stuff, you know, and you'll watch yeah. other teams where it's like the team probably has less talent than the Celtics, but they play well together. I think Dallas is in a unique situation right now. And you were talking about uh, when you didn't play well in a game, you would just go get rebounds. This is one yeah. of my favorite things about Bird. If Bird wasn't making a shot, he'd go get 18 rebounds. You know, he'd be yeah. like, oh, I'm going to affect the game this way. I do think Luca has some of that in him. I love the fact that um, it's not just that he's filling up the statue Westbrook style with like fake triple doubles and jumping in off the off free throws, trying to pad the stats, stuff like that. He actually like will go down and get a couple of the biggest rebounds of the game. And I do feel like he can affect games if his shot's not going in. But yet, I don't really like watching the Mavericks this year. And, and maybe a lot of it has to do with Porzingis isn't really Porzingis yet. What do you see with them? The rest of the way, do you do you feel like they're a sleeper at all, or are you writing them off? I'm writing them off. I think they rely way too much on Luca. We also talked about this on the show uh, last week because we had him on. Like they just give him the ball every single time and say, "Hey, make a play." And if he makes a play or has a great night, they win. I don't think they use Porzingis way enough in the in the in the, in the post. I mean, he's seven two. And most nights he's getting guarded by a, five, a six feet five or six six guy. He's gonna have a huge advantage. You can't stop him in the post. He never goes in the post. And yeah. every time, he, every time he jacks up a three, I know the guy saying thank you, thank you. And you know, <laughs> right. they, you know and the thing that's fun about it, they're the worst three point shooting team in the league. Yeah, and they still just keep jacking it up. You know, that's yeah. one thing I hate about the game today. It's like, hey, we're just gonna come to the gym and shoot a bunch of threes. If we make them. It's going to be great. If we don't make them, we're going to lose. All the coaches said it. We didn't make enough shots. I'm like, okay, you, you're the worst shooting, three-point shooting team in the league. Why are, you, why are you shooting so many? And that's what the Mavs are. But they weigh way too much, rely way too much on Luka. I mean, he's a hell of a player, but he didn't. With the, the Bulls didn't get a ball to Michael. Actually, it's a perfect example. I'm going to use that because I was thinking about that because I'm probably going to talk about the Mavs soon. I was just like, you go back and look at that Last Dance documentary, they didn't start having success until, remember they told Michael, Michael, you got to stop shooting the ball so much. You got to give other guy. And obviously the rest is history. I feel the same way with Luca. not comparing him to Michael, but if you watch them play, they give him the ball up and down the court every single time. And you're not going to win like that. Yeah, the, it's this weird usage rate boom that's happened the last five, six years. And I think it starts with Houston and Harden. 
yeah. where they're able to succeed when he has the ball all the time. But then yeah. you get to a playoff series and teams see that six, seven times in two weeks. And they're like, all right, we're used to this. We actually know how to stop. The Celtics are in a little bit of this position right now, even though Tatum and Brown, I don't think are on the level of Luca and Harden and people like that. But in they rely so much on offense from those two guys. You look at their assists, they're like 28th in assists. Over yeah. and over again, those guys have to be the one that are basically going one-on-one against whoever in the last eight, nine minutes, and they don't have like that third score. It's supposed to be Kemba, but yeah. um, they don't have that third person to help. They don't have the same kind of ball movement, and I there's a stagnancy with some of these teams that well, Dallas is a great example. Well, it's the perfect example, but your Celtics are similar the same way too, because it seems like they just kind of take turns. They don't just yes. play. They don't play the game. You know, they don't play the game. They just like, okay, it's your time, Jalen. Okay, it's your turn, Jason. Or now it's your time, Kimba. And it don't look like they're just playing basketball. And uh, they are very stagnant, and they're not a lot of fun to watch. To be honest with you. You know, the first year of the Heat with LeBron and Wade and Bosch was like that. As they tried to figure each other out. And it was like, all right, your turn this time. All right, let's run a play for Bosch. And it was never like they were just playing pickup. Well, it's kind of like, I remember when I did the thing on LeBron. I said, LeBron, LeBron's got, uh, they asked him, we're playing your Celtics. And I called out LeBron. I said, LeBron, when I went to Phoenix, the guy asked me, uh, well, who team is it? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, it's been Kevin and Dan's team. I said, no, it's my team now. <laughs> it's my team now. They're with me. I love those guys, but they're with me. And I remember talking to uh, LeBron on the show. I says, he was deferring so much to those other guys. Like, nah, man, you're the best player. Don't defer. And I think that's when he, went, he scored like, it was like the game six. I called him out before game six. I said, yo, man, you don't have to defer to Dwayne Wade. Or anybody else. I says, it's the way it should work. You're the best player. You get all the shots you want. These other guys, you just play. But you got a green light. They got like a yellow light, them two guys. But your best player, he can't defer. Right. And LeBron, he went crazy that night, if I remember correctly. We had him on here. I think that's the first time he had scored 40 for the for the Heat. And they beat you, and they beat him in game six in Boston. And I said before the game, hey, they never gonna win this thing until they stop, until LeBron stopped deferring and taking over, and he did that night. It was beautiful to watch. It wasn't beautiful for me. I was there. I didn't have a good time. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. 
I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. You guys did this to Embiid last year. And, I, you know, you, your show's 20 years. You got a documentary coming out next month. And it's been interesting to watch it evolve as kind of a barometer for what's happening in the league and how it affects some of the players you talk about, right? Because the players are more sensitive than ever these days. But last year, you had one of the best conversations I think you've ever had on the show about Embiid, where there was real disappointment. And Shaq talked about what he didn't see from Embiid, what he needed to do, and you talked about it. And basically, you were all like, hey, man, you you got handed the the complete car wash package here. You're not taking care of it. You're not in good enough shape. You have to be better. This this isn't good enough what we're seeing. And I do, he talked about it after. It seemed like it resonated with him. And then when you watch what he's doing this year, where he is in shape, where he can play four quarters in a row without getting tired, where he's dominating, where he's added stuff to his game. Like, I do feel like you guys played a small part in that. Like, do you feel, do you feel a responsibility with that stuff sometimes? Well, I think we have a responsibility to be honest. I'm gonna be a straight shooter, Bill. You know me. I'm gonna be a straight shooter. Right. And for this, for this dude to be out there shooting threes, the defenders like, thank goodness. This I'm gonna have to wrestle with this big dude in the post. And and every time he shoots a three, the defense like, oh, thank you. Now you see this year, he's in the post. Ninety percent of the time, he's just killing people because you can't guard him. Uh, 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 you cannot guard this dude. He is just too big, too strong, too quick. Because I don't even know who you put on him. You know, there's certain guys uh, like a Kevin Durant, a Dirk Nowitzki, um, you know, Yo- uh, Jokic. You, uh, y- yes. Like, okay, if you put a big guy on him, he's too quick. You put a little guy on him, he's too big for him. And then B's in that same category. You put a big big goof on him, he's just going to go around him every time. You put a little guy on him, he's just going to kill him in the post. And so one thing these guys that they just play basketball, they don't think basketball. They just play. They don't think. Like, wait, it's a little guy on me. Like Porzingis the other night, they had like um, a, a six three guy guarding him, and he got out of the post. We highlighted it like five times. Because now everybody switches everything. I'd yeah, run a bunch yeah. of dummy plays if I was these guys. Like, oh, they're going to switch. We're going to have a singles in the post against a point guard or a two guard or a small forward. But these guys don't run dummy plays. They just run their regular offense. And if, if, if a Porzingis would go in the post a lot more, and as a matter of fact, when me and Shaq said a couple of years ago, Rick Carlisle went crazy on us after the game. Time, those guys are just old timers, <laughs> and the game's not and the game's not played like that anymore. And I'm like, well, first of all, first of all, we're gonna be fair and honest. Like, I if 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 Carl Anthony Town, Porzingis, uh, MB, all want to go to put their whole career on shooting threes, they're never gonna win anything. Uh, there's no reason for Carl Anthony Towns to be shooting a bunch of threes. Right. He's going to have an advantage in the post and on quickness every single night. Uh, same thing with Embiid. 
Anthony Davis, he'll shoot threes, but he spends a lot more time in the post. Uh, but everybody see now, when Joel Embiid's in the post, he's right there in the conversation with LeBron and Donovan Mitchell for MVP this year because he is just killing people in the post. Well, yeah, but you know, you know the answer to this. It's easier to shoot eight threes a game. It's hard work to go in the post. You get banged around. You got to work on it. You got to take care of it. And, you know, some guys just don't want to do it. I look at it. To me, it's like, it's like football. I want to do the thing that the other team doesn't want me to do. And you see like even somebody like Giannis and they've been so determined to turn Giannis into this three point shooter and this guy who faces the basket. And I'm like, all I know is every time that guy's near the basket, the other team panics. Uh, you give them the ball that- six feet from the basket. They all of a sudden they're fr- people are jumping around. They're trying to double team them. They don't know what to do. And it's like, maybe you should do that over having them shoot threes. I a hundred percent agree with you. Like he never pulls up ever. Yeah. I'm like, wait, he, if he posts up, they would have to double or they, or they gonna, are he going to score or get fouled? But they run that offense. Like here's Yana, here's the ball at the top of the ski tee. score on these five guys. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's not an offense. That's I want him near the basket. He is he is so explosive. He's got such great hands. He's so good around the basket with tip-ins and things like that. It, you're, you're putting him 25 feet away from the basket. I know it works during the regular season, but in the playoffs, I want him around the basket. I want him beat around the basket. I want Davis around the basket. You saw what happened to the Lakers last year. They won because they overpowered the other team for four straight rounds. Well, and the thing that drives me crazy is they've lost Milwaukee. We're talking about Giannis. They've lost in the playoff the last two years the exact same way. Make him score against the wall. I'm like, okay, the first year it can work. It shouldn't work anymore. It worked again. And now even when you watch him play right now, you can see it's going to end badly for them. They're playing exactly the same way they did the last two years. They're like, oh, they just get a ball to Giannis and let him go one on five. And it's not going to work. It's going to work against Oklahoma, Orlando, Sacramento, the Wizards, the Hawks. But it's not going to work in the playoffs. If they have, it didn't work. Uh, it's not going to work against even Boston, who's mediocre. It's not going to work against them in the playoffs. It's not going to work against Miami, and they're mediocre too. I'm not even talking about Philly and Brooklyn in that situation. Well, Brooklyn played Milwaukee early in that Harden trade. And it became a game of three on three in the last five minutes. And guess what? Brooklyn's Brooklyn's three guys are just better at scoring than Milwaukee's best three guys. And you can yeah. feel it in the game. It's like, yeah, Milwaukee's playing well, but Brooklyn's just slightly better than them. And I, I, I'm already trying to reconcile the fact Brooklyn's going to win the East if unless unless somebody gets hurt, they're going to get some sort of buyout guy to help out because DeAndre's. You know, he's pretty they, mediocre or worse at this they, point. They'll get a buyout guy, but they're going to win the East unless something, someone gets injured. Well, I still like Philly in the East uh, because what the uh, the uh, Brooklyn can't protect the basket. They can't rebound the ball. But is that going to matter? They're just going to outscore teams. They can get two and a half points every possession. Yeah, that sounds good in theory, but you got to – I still – I wonder what it's going to happen when they get in the playoffs, when they're all three trying to score. There's going to be less possessions. I think it's uh, – and only one of those guys has proven to me he's willing to sacrifice for the betterment of the team. And that's mm. Kate. Is that Joe Harris? Uh, what now? <laughs> I thought it was Joe Harris. I was kidding. Joe Katie, Harris. Yeah. 
Uh, he's, the, he's the ultimate sacrifice guy. He's never, yeah. he's never gonna get the shots he deserved and the attention he deserved playing with those three guys. You know, you put him with Philly, Milwaukee, he'd be a hell of a. Pickup. I take him on the Celtics. Let me give yeah. you the case for Brooklyn falling apart in the playoffs. It's in three parts. One you just mentioned: those three guys in crunch in crunch time in close games. Who 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 wants to who wants to grab the steering wheel? All looking at each other, and then it's just being off. Yeah. Nash as a rookie coach, and then them not being able to get stops. So there is a path. I just feel like their ceiling. When I think about them versus Philly, because I think it's gonna be them versus Philly in the East Finals, and Simmons is gonna be guarding either Harden or Durant. Okay, so he can shut one of those guys down. But let me ask you another question: If the Celtics. The Celtics actually could get them a handful too, because if Kimball can get it going, oh, Tatum and Brown, they gonna be able to really get their thing going against Brooklyn. So, so what, what what happens is when you play like they play, uh, you can make a good team really good because Tobias Harris is gonna score, Embiid's gonna score. Simmons can shut one of those guys down, or he can post one of those two guys up. So they make things harder on themselves. If they played a little defense, they'd be easy. They'd be tough to beat. But because the way they play is like, wait, Tobias Harris going to score against James Harden or Kyrie. That's a fact. They got nothing for MB, nothing for MB. But the other thing is uh, Simmons going to be like, Tobias Harris and Simmons going to be able to score against Harden and Kyrie. That's right. a no brainer in my and opinion. And Harris. And yeah, Harris. I think – I think uh, if I'm Brooklyn, it all looks good on paper. And I still I still think they're going to win these. It all looks good on paper, but we haven't seen it. And we haven't seen these guys together. And we, the coach hasn't been in this situation, all of these different pieces. I still feel like if Embiid averaged 40 points a game in that series, I still feel like Brooklyn could beat them. I'm just penciling in 38 a game for Embiid. Well, I still well, think they can get, Brooklyn could get to 122, 125 points a game. In a playoff series, and my question for Philly is, how do you get to the number of points per game that you're going to need to beat them four times? Philly scored 116 last night without Joel Embiid. Right. And they lost. And they, they gave lost. up like 130. Uh, I know, because number one, uh, Utah's playing fantastic, but also uh, Ben Simmons had 45, 44, 45. So he proved to me, like, man, this guy, he was posting up a lot last night. So listen, that's what's going to be fun watching the playoffs. You know, Steve Nash has never been there before. Those those guys never been under pressure before. And everybody said, well, they have been under pressure before, but not together. No. I mean, because now you got to worry about the egos, like, uh, oh, I want uh, – I want I want to be the guy who makes this next shot, the one to get us moving on to the next round. So and you never know because you remember something. I remember the last time Russ and KD played together, and I and we thought they had come together. Right, three one lead in the West Finals. But they get up three to one on the Warriors, and they revert back to the way they used to play. Like the first two rounds of the playoffs, they played unselfish. They just played basketball. But when they got up 3-1, I said at halftime, they were up 
They were up at halftime in game six. And I says, what? And Ernest says, what do you think? I said, I'm not feeling good right now. And he says, Chuck, they're up three to two. They're up at the halftime. I said, Ernest, I saw a lot of bad habits in the first half. They've started playing like they used to play. Well, instead of just playing basketball, somebody wanted to get the credit, wanted to play hero ball. And I remember Ernie coming to me after the game. He says, how did you know that? I said, Ernie, I've been watching basketball a long time. I said, I thought they had got out of this, like, don't worry about who gets the credit. Let's just win the game. And they had it, it worked for five games. Actually, they should have won game five. They didn't yeah. shoot well in game five. I went to that game. Yeah, they but just didn't They didn't shoot well, but they were there. But, but they were ready to take still, that game. It still went down to the buzzer. Yeah. But I said, when it, going back to Oklahoma City was one of the best environments. I said, this is their game seven. They better win. And like I say, they were up at halftime, but they played selfish. And I said, oh, shit, Ernie. And he asked me, he said, you think they're going to win? I said, not going to win tonight. They're going back to hero ball. They had... They had made it through three rounds of the playoffs with no hero ball. And the first half of game six to clinch, they were like, I want people to say I'm the reason we won that series. And they start playing hero ball. And obviously lost in seven. Well, that was the Clay Thompson game, too. That wasn't helping them either. Yeah, but they <laughs> was but even when Clay was going crazy, they were still up at halftime. Oklahoma yeah, yeah. State. No, I know. I Not we broke it. down that game like yeah. two years ago. OKC fell apart more than Clay yeah. Thompson won the game. They yeah, really did. The last five, six minutes, they completely fell apart. Yeah, because they were trying to play hero ball. It's, yeah. You know, one thing about this thing, Bill, very few people don't want credit. Instead of, so they were like, I want to make the assist or the basket. You know, one thing I can say about Michael Jordan, hey, John Paxson, Steve Kerr hit two of the biggest shots of his career. He just wanted to win the game. He wasn't worrying about, hey, y'all taking away from me, Steve, get ready. Pax, get ready. And I think you, a great player, you're like, my job is to get other guys open shots. It ain't just to make the shot every time. Can we go back to Ben Simmons for one second? I yeah. did a passionate defense of him on Sunday night because basically for, I think he's this guy who's been picked apart a lot, including even by me and some of his offensive stuff. But he is the most important defensive player in the league, other than maybe Gobert. We watched him in the span of three weeks do a really nice job against LeBron, made him work for everything. And then three weeks later, guards Dame Lillard and shuts him down. And shuts him down in a way that was kind of staggering to watch. And you just think, like, I, this guy's just one of the best 12, 15 players in the league. He just is. If you're Houston, how do you not get him in the trade over a bunch of picks that you don't know what the picks are going to be? Like, like I can get Ben Simmons. Why aren't I taking that? And then if you're Philly, thank God they didn't take it because I actually, I don't know. The more I watch Simmons and especially last night, which was his offensive breakout. And that was the game where it's like, Hey, if he didn't have Embiid, if you build a whole offense around him, you gave him the ball all the time and you let him be this inside outside guy who created for himself and others. You could be a playoff team just with that. And people, no, no, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. We saw it last night. So where do you stand on Ben Simmons right now? Until you learn how to shoot, he's going to be a, an all-star. Can't be a superstar until you learn how to shoot the ball. Because the one thing we sure of, Bill, we always the ball always finds a guy who can't shoot in the playoffs. It's true. And 
He's a great defender. He's a hell of a player. But at some point, he's going to have to make a shot, a big shot. And, and right now, he's so reluctant to shoot the ball. Uh, I think that's going to always come back to bite him in the ass. He's got to learn. Like, I think he's afraid to shoot the ball. He wasn't afraid last night. Well, he was just, that was just lay Like, if you keep him in, like, you keep him in a little box. I mean, he's great around the basket. But I'm saying, under pressure, they're going to double MB. And, that, and that's actually a, actually a great point you make. Why isn't he that aggressive uh, offensively when Joel Embiid is not there? That's actually a great point you just made. He Thank was you. great. He was great and aggressive last night. Why isn't he like that when Embiid's there? It, it, it would only make the team better. I mean, he's he not going to get forty points, but I wonder how many times he's got. It'd be a great stat. How many times he had twenty points with Embiid on the floor? That would be a great stat. Well, two things have changed for him, right? One is that he knows they try to trade him. Like they can say what they want now, but we know that we know that he was in that Harden trade and that if it had gotten to the point where Houston wanted that more than the picks they got from Brooklyn, they would have done it. Um, the second thing, you know, Doc, the Doc Rivers piece can't be underrated. And I know he's had some playoff collapses over the years, but he does have with stars the ability to pump them up and push for them and kind of be like, like kind of a cross between a coach and a big brother. And I do think he's helping those guys. I, I do think he deserves some credit for Embiid and Simmons, how they're playing this year. No, no, no. See, Ernie asked me that on the show the other night, Bill. Thanks for watching. It doesn't matter. Ernie asked me, he said, I said, don't even matter. Ernie, Philly's not, Philly's, well, only thing that matters for Philly is what happens in the playoffs. I mean, uh, and I said, Philly, Milwaukee, Lakers, Clippers, if they don't win the championship, it's a lost season. Philly's going to be, they, they've been one of the three best teams in the East for the last probably four or five years. Unless they get to the finals, it does not matter. If Like, they got to get to the finals to have a successful season. You know, they had to crush the last few years. They blame everything on Brett Brown. They blame everything on Brett Brown. My toast wasn't cooked enough. Oh, it's Brett Brown's fault. <laughs> I, steak, I ordered a, a medium well steak, and it's only uh, not well well enough. It's on Brett Brown. Now they got a coach. You said they got a coach. Now Philly, Philly's just trying to get through the regular season. And if they don't, same thing with the Milwaukee Bucks. Unless they get to the finals, it's a lost season. So I'm not even going to worry about Philly or Milwaukee. I watch them. But, like, nah, man, all that stuff don't matter. Y'all got to get to the finals. And probably Milwaukee's probably got to win it because they've had the best record in the East like three years in a row. But Philly, I think if they get to the finals, that could be somewhat of a good season. But the same thing with the Clippers. Yo, man, y'all threw your coach on their bus. You said he was the reason. So, now they got to get, they, they got to, get to the finals or win it. I mean, the Lakers, the Lakers, they got to win it because they've already won it. But the Clippers, the Sixers, and the Bucks, they got to get to the finals or their season is off.
This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. Who do you think the Lakers would rather not play? in the finals, Philly or Milwaukee or Brooklyn? Who do you think they would not want to see? Well, it's interesting you say that because it, it depends on the matchup. You see, they ain't got nobody to have a Le, – LeBron against KD, that would be a great matchup. If LeBron can you – know, he used to be a great defender. Could he? What can he do against KD? That would be great to watch. But they ain't got nobody can handle AD. But this dude is always hurt. Like, he was the biggest difference in them last year. When he's down there in the post, he would kill Brooklyn. He would kill Brooklyn. They got nobody to handle him. Um, but same thing. Uh, it's, it's all about matchups in a seven-game series. It's all about matchups. Hey, uh, I think they would rather play, I think, Brooklyn, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, Interesting. I think... I think Brooklyn would be the team they wouldn't want to play because they're such a weird team. Because you think about it, seven-game series. You know, seven-game It's an easy seven games, though. Like, going, like for Anthony Davis, he's going to have his way. LeBron going to have his way. Those other guys, they know Kyrie and James ain't going to play defense. So that's going to make Cowell uh, <laughs> Pope. Like, it's kind of like a boxing match. Yeah. Like, if you're going to fight a guy – and y'all just going to jab each other, that's fine. Now, if a guy can knock your ass out, you don't want that guy. Because, <laughs> like, you got to keep your head on a swivel the whole time. You know, you talk about – see, that's one thing. Uh, those Rockets teams, those Suns teams coached by Mike D'Antoni, those are easy games. There's no physicality. We just got to outscore them four times. You know, and scoring, like – well, scoring is going to be easy because they're not going to play in the defense. They're not going to rebound the ball. Can I, mean, I give you the, the case? Thing. Can I give you the case for Brooklyn? Sure. And I don't think they're going to beat the Lakers, but I'm just going to give you the blueprint. They have to win four times in seven games. So you know there will be the one Durant game. You know there will be the one Harden game. And you know there will be the one Kyrie game where those guys just basically are awesome. And either they win the game or it's like last minute. And then they just need one game where all of them play together. And they could throw away the other three games. They could lose by 20 in all of them. But you think like the Lakers, because we've seen this with Miami too. 
I do think there was some wear and tear in the in the way last season played out with that bubble and then starting this really fast the next year. It's, we've seen it affect Miami. Davis is now legit hurt, and it seems like well, he's going to be out till after the All Star break. Hey, me, and LeBron's me. in year eighteen. Like you got to factor that in. I know he's superhuman, but at some point there's going to be wear and tear with the Lakers. Well, that's true, but I'm saying. It's not it, it, the wear and tear won't show up against Brooklyn because it's not going to be a physical demanding series. We just got to go to the gym and play like we playing some street ball. Like when you like I say, go back to D'Antoni in yeah. Phoenix and in Houston. It's an easy game to play against. Right. Like, they just gonna outscore us. Not gonna be physical. We gonna get all the shots we want. They gonna get all the shots they want. We just got to beat them four times. And we think we got the best big guy, so we're gonna get some easy baskets and some foul trouble. Uh, well, I still I'm, feel like I still feel like Brooklyn, the chance of them getting a buyout guy that's gonna piss me off. Well, we would be they, like, oh, we we have Andre Drummond now. I'd be like, what? How'd you get Andre Drummond? Yeah, Cleveland couldn't trade him; they bought him out. Now he's well, a Brooklyn net. Well, and first of all, I agree with you. I think if they get one quality big guy, I think they do become the favorite. I truly believe that. Me I mean, too. but they're looking. I mean, just talking to some people I know in the NBA, they've been really trying for the last month. They realize, like, yo, man, we can't rebound the ball. And it's like an open-door policy going to the basket on us. Well, they panicked. They sh- they threw Jared Allen in that trade to get one more crappy pick. I don't. I still don't feel like they should have traded him. I, well, think I, that, I think I'm doing I, anything I can to keep him. I'm doing anything I can to keep him, too. I'm a big Jared Allen fan. I would have never traded him. That was weird. Yeah. I didn't get that. Um, wait, one more thing I have for you. The uh the fact that we thought the center position was dead, and now we have Embiid and Jokic who have kind of reignited it, and we're seeing stuff night to night at the center position, plus Gobert and the effect he's had on Utah. Feels like centers are kind of back. Like this is this is we we wrote them off, we had the funeral, centers are back. Bill, they shouldn't have never fucking left. (laughs) Like, the thing that's really interesting about the NBA today, the Warriors are the greatest. When they had KD, Steph, and Clay, they were the greatest shooting team probably ever. Agree? Yes. There are seven more teams. Going back to KD's last year in, in, uh, in, in Golden State, there are seven more teams. The Rockets are an outlier. So there's six more teams shoot more threes than the Warriors. That's absurd. That's absurd. I talked about in the air. I says, I says, I got all my numbers. I said there are eight more teams shooting threes, more, more threes than the greatest shooting team we've ever seen. I said the Rockets, okay, they do their thing. But what are these other six teams thinking? What are they thinking? And then you go back, you're like, Carl Anthony Towns, number one three-point shooter, most attempts on the Wolves. Like, why? First of all, if your best shooter is seven feet tall, your fucking team sucks, and the Wolves suck. And I says, why in the world, Joel Embiid, the biggest, most imposing big man in the NBA since Shaq, why is he out there shooting threes? Your Joker... He just played a game. That's why he's brilliant. But this notion, like, I'm trying to think of another decent big guy. DeAndre Ayton. 
DeAndre Aiden should be decent big guy people in the post. And they got him standing around. He don't post up nearly enough. But this notion that, wait, I don't want my big guy shooting threes. Because I always tell people about threes. Number one, it does two, two, a couple things for you. Number one, again, lets the defense off the hook. It makes the guy lazy. But also, it does your team never gets into foul trouble if your big guy is not. First of all, if you put your big guy in the post, he's going to draw a double team. So you're going to get wide open threes instead of contested threes. And I think wide open threes are a lot better than contested threes. So it's a lot of things going on. These guys make the game, hey, oh, call down to towns. You're seven feet tall. Maybe you should post up every now and then because of these other football. I mean, think about this here, Bill. When he plays against the Houston Rockets, they put all them six five guys out there. Why in the world would I shoot threes if I'm seven feet tall against the Houston Rockets? Um, I'm trying to think. Well, you know, on the flip side of this, like I like how Julius Randle's playing this year. The Knicks have re kind of rejuvenated his game, and he's an inside outside guy. He'll he can face up, but he also will post up. Sabonis is another guy like that. There are people that. Well, mix it up, and it's effective. I think Sabonis is one of the 10 best, 10 to 15 best players in the NBA. I think, I bet they, Shaq and McKinney went crazy the other night when I said, I said, that Sabonis kid is one of the 10 best 15 players in the league. And Julius Randle should be an all-star this year. He's played fantastic. But I'm glad you mentioned Sabonis because he's one of the 10 to 15 best players in the world. I mean, he's I, unbelievable. Yeah, I think there's, there's, Big guys who are creative in the way that, like, you know, your era. We also have a little Suns comeback, which yeah, uh, the Suns know, are like a, a legit, you know, they, they could sure. make round two, possibly even round three if there were some injuries. I think they're a good team. Well, the key is going to be, the key is them bringing in Chris Paul. You know, I'm a big Chris Paul fan. Me as well. I, I think he's going to be great for, for Booker. I think he's also going to be great for DeAndre Aiden. But getting Jay Crowder. Uh, was a big deal. I think Jay Crowder is one of the most underrated players uh, in the NBA. He's one of those glue guys who like, hey, I'm going to play defense. I'm going to work hard. If I get a shot, I'm going to get a shot, but I'm not going to move and complain about it. You know, a lot of times when you get certain guys, they're like, I'm not getting shots. I'm just going to mope around out here and not do my thing. Jay Crowder's not like that. He, do, he works his behind off, and then when they give him a ball, he shoots it, but the rest of the time he does all the dirty work out there. And the kid Bridges is coming along too. Cam Johnson yeah. too. I like that they're, I like that they're malleable. Like they can go small or they can play a little bigger depending on who they're playing. I like their crunch time five. I think they play well together when they have Johnson and Bridges out there with Chris Paul and Aiton and Booker. Like it's effective, well, and they, and they play with a certain pace because of Chris that, not, that they're at their own speed. You know what I mean? But Chris, Chris to me is the key. I know I'm, they, they they make fun of me on on on, on inside because I always say Chris Paul is the greatest, best leader we got in the NBA for the last ten to fifteen years, and I think he is. What he does is put he they he controls the tempo of the game. Like the last few years, they didn't know whether to go fast or slow. Yeah, like there's times you should go fast, and there's times you should slow down. Chris is the best in the business at doing that. Steph Curry's like that also. But uh, Chris is just amazing. Um, before we go, I wanted to mention, it's been funny watching the younger guys 
they get upset at the show sometimes as you're in year 20 here. And I remember even when I was doing a bunch of podcasts with Durant and Durant in one of the podcasts talked about like, it really hurt his feelings that your show was so critical that the old guys really seem to resent the new generation shooting too many threes. You don't do this. You don't do that. My day was better. Um, it feels like this is getting this kind of gap between your generation and the generation that's in the league. It feels like more bitter than it ever was. And I, I was watching the night when Durant was giving one word answers on the show. There was that other weird show. And I, I actually disagreed with how Shaq handled the Mitchell thing. I thought it was weird because I think Mitchell's been really good this year. And Shaq just kind of came out of the gate, just being a dick to him. Um, but what what's well, going on with this whole divide? Well, these you said it earlier. These guys are so sensitive. I learned my lesson from Dr. J. Because uh, there was a couple of critical things written about me when I was just getting becoming a star. I think it was my second year. Uh, he was kind of passing a torch to me. And he, was, he just gave me a bunch of advice. And he said, Charles, the first thing I want you to do before so when somebody writes something bad about you, take a step back and say, is it true? That's the first thing. Is it true? Now, you can get mad if it's not true. But mm. the first question you have to ask yourself, is it true? I feel very good about what I say about players. It's never been personal. Uh, if they're going to overreact to everything we say, you know what's interesting? I, I, I'll tell you this. You know, they never call me when I said something great about them. <laughs> you know, they, they've never called me. Like when I said James Harden was the best one-on-one player I've ever seen, and people said, Charles is full of shit. Charles full of shit. And then, like, the next year, like, Charles is right. James Harden is the best one-on-one -on -one player I've ever seen. I'm not saying, I said, he's not better than Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. But the way the game is today, he's a better three-point shooter than those guys. He can shoot free throws just as good, and he can finish just as good. James Harden is the best one-on-one -on -one player we've ever had in the NBA, the way it's structured today. He didn't call me and say thank you. Uh, but if I've been critical about how much he dribbles and say it wouldn't be fun to watch him dribble to, uh, all day, he, 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 him and his little Daryl Morey get upset. I'm like, wait, y'all didn't call me when I said he's the best one-on-one -on -one player. You know, but listen, uh, I'm not going to change my approach. I have an obligation to the fans to be honest and straightforward. If these guys want to get all bent out of shape, that's on them. I, and 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 I'm and I want to make it clear I'm definitely not one of those get off my lawn guys. All I've said, and we just had a conversation about it. You saying there's a rebirth of big man? I'm like, no. The big guys finally took their big ass down to the post instead of shooting threes. Like I say, uh, if you guys want to shoot threes, that's fine. But there's no reason for Carl Anthony Towns and Embiid and uh, uh, the kid here in Phoenix. Um, the Joker, the Joker very seldom shoot threes. I mean, I says, why am I? So if they think that's critical, that's fair. But uh, I, I have none against these guys. And I you, know, you know what it is, though? I think this is the biggest piece of it, other than it's a generational thing. They all check their Twitter replies all day. They check their Instagram, their Twitter, all that stuff. And when you guys hammer somebody or you're even critiquing somebody, it becomes a three-minute clip that's in yeah. their Twitter replies in 20 minutes. And you have all these, like, it's almost like a tattletale type thing. Or be like, Oh, 
Barkley check lit you up, you know, yeah. and they read that and then they just get mad and they watch the clip. They get mad or they don't see the context of it. And again, I, I sometimes it's gone overboard. I thought the Shaq Mitchell thing, as I said, was was pretty over the top. But for the most part, I just think that's people see it and they consume it and react faster than 10 years ago. Because I remember I thought one of the best shows we've talked about this. One of the best shows you ever had was 2010 LeBron's last Cavs season that game five you had against Boston when he just kind of disappeared and it was really weird. And you guys came on and you were all like so profoundly disappointed because you had believed he was a greater player than that. And you had this honest conversation about like, what just happened? How are we yep. supposed to feel about this guy now? I think if that you fast forward that 10 years, then it becomes dissected the same way it does in this weird social media generation we're in now, where it's just like Barkley Shag, here's the clip. And, and it becomes a thing. I agree with you, brother. I mean, but yeah, we got to do our job. I agree. I mean, like, I bet, uh, let me use you as an example. I think the Celtics are mediocre. You know, and I think you agree with me. Uh, that's not a criticism. That's just a fact. The, the, the Celtics, the way they are currently constructed, are not going to win in the playoffs. Like, just because Danny Ainge is a friend of mine and you're a fan of the Celtics, I don't expect you to get on your podcast and say, my Celtics are contenders. I'm like, Bill, please. <laughs> that's not, well, and, that's, and that's not critical. That's just a fact. Now, if they prove us wrong, we'll say it. We were wrong. But, like, right now, doing your job, uh, which you agree that, you know I got a lot of love and respect for you. Like, you can't get on any network or your podcast and say, yeah, we're contenders. You know, that 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 be like just because you love the Celtics, like, yeah, we're not gonna win the championship the way we set up right now. I always default to that example you talked about with Dr. Dre, like uh Dr. J. If uh is it true? If you're gonna say something like, do you really believe it? Um, can you prove it? I have, you know, I have like certain small biases. Like, I don't really like the whole Atlanta Trey Young thing. And then the Hawks fans are like, you hate Trey Young. Why do you hate Trey Young so much? It's like, it's not that I hate Trey Young. I just hate that they set up this system where they treat him like he's a superstar. He hasn't won anything. He gets to take any terrible shot he wants. He, they, everything runs through them. Everything's catered to him. They built this whole specific team to try to make him like he's, you know, Larry Bird in his prime. And it's like, I don't know if he's a winning player. Can I, is it okay for me to say that? Uh, and listen, and every, see, fans want two things. Fans only want two things, Bill. Tell me my team is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah, right. and, tell me, and tell me my favorite player is great. And if you venture off that, they're coming for you. And I actually agree with you on the Hawks situation. Uh, I do. I 100% agree with you on the Hawks situation. But, man, fans, because, like, and... and First of all, it's their fans and their family. Like, Charles hates this guy. Like, no, I don't. I just told you the truth. But that's, I'm not going to change. Well, I think we both see it the same way. My goal with any player construction of a team is, can I win basketball games? Can I win playoff rounds? And I think Trey Young is incredibly talented. Like, he's a really good offensive player the way they're constructing and, and thinking about that team is just not, you're not going to win playoff rounds. You're just not. And I hundred percent agree with you. hundred percent agree with you. You know, it's funny though. You mentioned 
because I when I did the studio show for ESPN for two years, and I got a taste of what it's like to where every basically every franchise fan base thinks you hate them. Yeah, and we had a San Antonio Miami finals, and in both cities the fans were you. setting up, and the fans like, why do you hate us so much? Why yeah, do you hate the Heat? And then you go to San Antonio, it's like, why don't you respect Tim Duncan? I'm like, so I hate both teams? Like, yeah. No. It, like, it's so my favorite is, Ernie says, who are you going to pick in, in a series? I'm like, I'm going to pick this team. So one city I go to, they love me. One city I go to, they hate me. I'm like, first of all, I don't even give a shit who wins. Let's get that out the way. Uh, but Ernie, I, have to, I get paid to answer the question. Well, I'm going to take this team. And... Uh, they do. But you know who talks to me a lot about that? Vern Lundquist and Gary Danielson. Mm. Vern, Vern's like, you know, they, they do the SEC, which is the worst fan basis, like, in the history of civilization. Like, <laughs> you don't say everything good about my SEC school. I hate your ass. And I have friends, when I'm in Alabama, I have friends like, oh, we got, we on CBS this week. Burn Lundquist and Gary Danielson hate us. And I got Alabama fans. Man, Burn Lundquist and Gary hate us. And I'm like, why do y'all think that? I said, I know Burn. I know Burn really well. And Gary, I like. I don't know him as well as I know Burn. I said, they don't give a shit who wins. I said, I know both of those guys. They don't give a shit about Alabama and Auburn football. They're here to do their job. But fans hear what they want to fucking hear, Bill. Plain and simple. I felt it last year in the bubble. I was convinced Stan Van Gundy hated the Celtics in the Celtics Raptor series. And I texted Levitar and I was like, what does Stan have against the Celtics? Did we not give him a job? And then he told Stan and Stan got mad at me. No, but, but, but I was like, look, I but fans are irrational. That's what makes fans great. So I get it. It's just kind of funny. Like basically we're in this when you were in it is funny, right? When you're in it both ways. But when when you're feeling like Oh, both fan bases think I hate them and these two teams are playing each other. Like, obviously, the only thing we're really rooting for is a great series when you're in the middle of it, right? And that's like that San Antonio, Miami, that first year I did Countdown was one of the great series of all time. You know, that was the Ray Allen shot. That was Tim Duncan's incredible game seven. Like, I didn't care who won. I just wanted awesome basketball. You know, I always tell people, who are you rooting for? I said, I want this shit to be over as quick as possible so I can get the golf course and fishing. I said... The sooner these series are over, the sooner I can get to vacation. I mean, I don't care who wins. I got friends on both, uh, coaches on both sides I like. There's some players on both sides I like. I just want it to be over. If somebody wins 4-zip, 4-1, 4-2, the sooner I can get to the golf course and the sooner I can go fishing. But I I said, dude, I don't care who wins. I I, I, I never get the fact that people think we care who wins. It makes me laugh every time. Um, Do you want an all-star game to happen? I think it, the way they're doing it is, I think it's unfair uh, because a couple things. So when, when we got out of the bubble, they're like, you guys got two months, three months off before we start again. They called me back three weeks later. Hey, we're going to start in a month. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> so the, what, these, these guys only got like a, a six weeks off. So they told them we were going to have two to three months off. They called us in three weeks and we're going to start before Christmas. So these guys, I'm like, man, that's a lot on these guys' bodies. And they said, okay, we're going to give them 10, 10 days off for All-Star game. I'm like, 
because that's what they hate. The guys want to make money, so they got to come back. But they told me they're going to give them an all-star game off. Then they come back, like, a month ago, like, hey, we're going to lose too much money. We need to play the all-star game. I says, hey, let me tell you something. That's going to go over not well at all. As these guys have been playing basketball basically straight for a year, special teams that made it deep in the playoffs, they bought this guy to get a break at some point. And they're like, no, we need to play. And I said, I knew it wasn't going to go over well. I see, and the mistake I think the NBA is making is they're trying to rush everything so these kids can play in the Olympics. And Yeah, who think, cares? Get rid of the Olympics. Seriously. You know, no, and I'm really serious about this, Bill. I, 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 they act like it's going to be the end of the world if we don't win the Olympics. I said, first of all, I think it would be great if we didn't win the gold medal. I said, if some little country won the gold medal, <laughs> it would make basketball so popular in that country. Right. I said, I said first of all, LeBron, Kevin Durant, James Harden should not want to play in the Olympics anymore anyway. Right. We should be sending, like, college kids the, uh, or guys who've been in the league one year. Yeah. Why aren't we sending college kids? Why are we even thinking about pros? Uh, All those guys are working out for the draft anyway. I I, I think we proved our point that we're the best basketball player in country in the world. I don't, I don't understand it all. And I don't understand, you know, I think Adam Silver, I think he's done a better job than David Stern overall. I think stuff like the, like, yeah, now you just, now that was just blasphemous. Well, I'm I'm saying the last seven, eight years of Stern versus the first seven, eight years of Silver, I think Silver's done a better job. Stern overall is more important, bigger figure, stuff like that. I'm just okay. saying. Yeah, Adam has had some doozies since he's been in office, but we're lucky to have Adam. But, man, he's had some doozies. <laughs> he's had some serious doozies to, to, to handle going back to Sterling and things like that. Now we're in the middle of a pandemic. Hey, and listen, it's a tough call, to be honest with you. I, but every, I don't think I don't think it's a tough call. Don't have no, the All Star game. Why. Give the people ten ga- ten days no. off. Lose some no, money. It's on. fine. Let me tell you why though, Bill. And I, I was having drinks with some friends that night, and we were talking about this. The only people making money in the world right now are jocks. All the restaurants are losing money. All the businesses are losing money. All the NBA teams are losing money. All the NFL teams are make losing money. So these guys, man, I, I, I feel number one for real people in the world who have lost their job and lost their businesses, but they haven't killed in the NBA or NFL contract, and we're playing sporting events, and these guys want all their salaries. And I tell them, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Hey, there's nobody out here working now. You can only have one third of people at restaurants. These guys are all honoring your contracts where you're making $30, $40 million a year to dribble a stupid basketball. And the only way they can recoup some of their money is to play basketball. So I'm not going to cry for these guys. Yeah, but how much money do you make for an all-star game? I can't imagine. It's like a oh. game changer. It's one, well, it's it's one I, night. I, they probably get $50,000 to the winner and $30,000 to the loser. Yeah. Well, I I, mean, I, I think it's going to get canceled. No, but, I'm saying, though, but our TV partners, um, which I'm one of, um, listen, I'm, I'm, they uh, want to, I, I get it. So like yeah. I say, man, I tell the guys, yo, man, 
Y'all the only ones making money in the world now. Everybody else is fired, got laid off, or had to take a pay cut. Just go play basketball. I mean, you got you got TV partners who getting killed right now, which we're one of them. ESPN getting killed. Are you proud that we just did an hour, 20 minutes without talking about LeBron? Because really, I'm really, I think it was a real achievement. Hey man, Especially in this media culture now where it's like LeBron has to be discussed and fight. And then oh, who do you think LeBron versus MJ, stuff like that. I didn't want to go there. I'm just excited that we did it. And number one, I appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but listen, man, you know, and I you know we've been we've been together for a long time. I got a lot of love and respect for you. Uh keep doing your thing, my brother. You too. I had one and, last thing for you before we go. Sure. This is I'm, just super quick fact. The sports card market has exploded. Um, do you know what your rookie card, your nineteen eighty-six Fleer highest level mint? PSA 10 rookie card is now worth. What do you think? If you had to guess a price, what would you guess? $50,000? No, $20,000. 20,000? It was, it was like $4,000, $5,000 a couple months ago. And the last dance had this whole resurgence on the basketball card market. And now all the guys from all your rookie card, Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic, it's all like I've, on Haywire. I've, I've, only, I've only escalated that much in 40 years? Well, it's $20,000 for one card is a lot of money. Damn. Hey, I thought you would be excited. You're disappointed. This is funny. Yeah, you know, like, I, so I don't know a lot about the card market. Well, let me rephrase. I don't know anything about the card market. Let me <laughs> but that, that's pretty remarkable. But the thing is funny. When I was playing for the Suns, the guy had me do an experiment where I went to cards uh, stores. Yeah, half the shit in there I didn't sign. Oh, they they forged the signatures. Yes, because my my signature is I, I got it down to an exact science. But I went in a bunch of stores. I think only. Let's say we had 20 things. I only signed like seven of them. That's hilarious. Yeah, The Last Dance. I mean, The Last Dance was good for you too because it made me feel old. I thought everybody knew this shit. And you see everybody under 30, they're watching go, wow, Michael Jordan was great. Wow, Barkley was really good. It's like, yeah, I thought I thought we all knew this. I thought this was already decided. But you realize that people under 30, they don't, they're not going to go back and watch the old games. They had no idea. So I thought it was a really important you know, documentary series for that standpoint. I thought it was important for the simple fact that I forgot how much Michael got beat up and how much he overcame because the Pistons beat him those first three times. And you see now, if you kiss a guy on the cheek, it's a flagrant foul. <laughs> right. And you saw, you see like, damn, I, I mean, because, you know, it, I'm like, they were beating the hell out of him back in the day. And he like says, no, we got to get bigger. We got to get stronger. He didn't whine. He didn't bitch. He didn't complain. He just said, I got to get bigger and stronger. And even though I knew that and lived that during that time, you forgot how much, you know, we had Magic Johnson on our podcast the other day. Me and Ernie have a podcast. And he says, 
one of his biggest regrets was, remember the year they lost to the Celtics? He said, that's one of my biggest regrets. He says, remember when uh, Mikhail clotheslined Rambis? He says, we lost that series because we spent the rest of the series trying to fight with the Celtics instead of playing basketball. He said, we had a better team than the Celtics. But once Kevin McHale closed line, Kurt, we spent the rest of the series trying to get even or trying to hurt one of those guys, and it cost us the series. Mm. And to get back to Michael, he never had retribution on those pistons. He just got up, shot his free throws, and, man, some of those fouls, you get suspended for 10 games on some of those fouls today. No question. But I mean, McHale might have got suspended for 20 games on that clothesline if he did it today. There was a worse foul later in the series. Worthy just shoved McHale, uh, Maxwell from behind because it was like that kind of the revenge foul for the McHale Ramis thing. He just shoves him into the basket support. And for some reason, everyone goes to the McHale Ramis, but the Worthy thing's just as bad. The the thing Rodman did to Pippen was terrible, too. There were some bad ones over hey, but the years. The thing was, hey, that was just two free throws. That's the shit right. that was funny about it. Nobody got suspended. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think Wait, about. Wait, remember, how- remember Parrish when he punched Liam Beer and they kept him yeah, in the game oh, at yeah. game five? <laughs> it was right in front of the ref. He right was like literally hitting, hitting him five times. And then uh, I remember when Bird... When Bert, when Lambeer grabbed Birdie, uh, he came up swinging. Oh my God, that was the good old days, man. Well, you had a good one against Lambeer once. That that's a good YouTube fight where. Oh yeah, and you actually had re- you had room to square up like it was a real fight because nobody had jumped in yet. And I gotta say, for as dirty and scummy of a player that Lambeer was, he would he didn't back down from fights. Yeah, you know, because, he would because, actually he would actually well, fight for he himself. He never won a fight. He was always getting hit. Go back and look at all the fights. He's a guy who started the fight and he was only getting punched. He never threw a punch. He was always getting punched. Right. But he would at least seem like he was about to throw a punch. Yeah, you kind of kicked his ass. You know, it's really funny. I always joke with Isaiah Thomas. Uh, uh, the Pistons, they call him the bad boy, but only two of them can fight. Right. Lamb- no, uh, Dumars and Isaiah were the only two tough guys on the team. Not the other guy, like James Evans a fight and Bennett Johnson, but all those other players, none of them would fight. Well, Isaiah. Like Sally, Rodman, Mahorn, none of those guys would fight. Right. All right, Chuck. Um, it was awesome to see you. Say say hi to the TNT guys. Congrats on the uh, 20-year anniversary coming up. Big documentary on March 4th. What's the name of your podcast, by the way? Uh, Steam Room, me and Ernie. All right. Yeah. Don't ever invite me on or anything. It's not like I would be a good guest. You're coming on soon, brother. Promise right. you. Good to see you. Thanks for all the time. I appreciate it. You're welcome, brother. Take care. That's it for the podcast. Don't forget about the rewatchable Sleeping with the Enemy already up. Coming to America, coming later this week. Two podcasts a week on the rewatchables. I'll be back on this feed on Thursday. See you then.